everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hey folks, it's Brandon back with another Turbo. Today I want to introduce to you a concept which is probably going to seem pointless and frivolous, but that's what you get with Turbos. This is a mathematical representation of what makes patients sick. Now, you know, determining and understanding who is really sick and who is not, of course, is an important part of early training and feels like critical care. But what I'm getting at more is about prognosis. How do you know when somebody who hits your door is likely to do well or not? And yes, developing... uh, the general sense for how you look at a patient and understand when they they look very poor is important, but sometimes that sense does not tell the story about prognosis. Sometimes patients seem incredibly ill and yet may end up doing just fine and vice versa. And yes, sometimes that's just a matter of bucking the odds, but sometimes that's predictable. So that raises the question of what goes into this that uh, goes beyond just how sick somebody is. So here is the the universal golden equation for understanding the morbidity or prognosis from critical illness. You ready for it? Severity times duration all divided by reversibility equals morbidity. Okay, (laughs) let me explain. Severity is the easiest to understand part of this. That's what we're generally talking about when we talk about how sick is somebody. Uh, How toxic and unstable do they look? How deranged are their vital signs and their lab studies? And so on and on. However, we have to temper that by understanding over how long of a period this has been happening. Because as a general rule, derangements in physiology, and even anatomy are better tolerated when they are more chronic. The more new something is, probably the bigger of an impact it's going to have on the body. So examples of this. Um, Chronic anemia is often minimally at most symptomatic. Patients may barely notice. So they come in with a hemoglobin of four because they've had a a long-standing GI bleed and their only complaint may be some fatigue. However, if somebody dumped out several liters of blood over the course of an hour from a very brisk active GI bleed, they may be incredibly unstable, hypotensive, and ill-perfused. So the same amount of blood loss in this case is having very different impacts purely mediated by how long it's been going on. Pulmonary hypertension. You measure somebody's pulmonary pressures through whatever means, right heart cath, echo, and you say, well, their uh, PA systolic pressure or their RVSP is 70 millimeters of mercury. Now that's very high in some ways, and yet some people walk around with numbers like that all the time. And again, maybe minimally symptomatic. I'm not saying it has no relevance, but that's not necessarily a critically ill patient. They're not in shock, for instance. However, a patient who develops that acutely uh, probably will be dead. I mean, I don't think you can go from normal uh, pulmonary vascular resistance 
to uh, pressures in the 70s or 80s over the course of, let's say, an hour and not go into right heart failure and probably code. So the, those patients who have those much more elevated pressures, that developed over months or years, and therefore their right heart had time to adapt to it. It has hypertrophied and thickened and can now tolerate that higher afterload. Whereas if you develop that in an hour due to an acute PE, no way. So these may seem like isolated examples, but it's a good general rule that things that happen over a longer period of time are going to be better tolerated, all things being equal. And I'm, I'm hedging, but it, it's almost hard to find exceptions to this. And albeit some of this is uh, what you might call a survivorship bias. If something is severe enough, you don't make it to a longer timeline. That patient doesn't survive that long. They either die or they end up in your ICU critically ill. So the, the mere fact that something has been going on for years may mean that it is not as severe. But again, in many cases, it may be just as severe by any marker you care to use, by the numbers or by anything else. It's more about the patient's adaptation to it. So severity times duration. And then we're going to put in a denominator here, which goes the other way, and that is reversibility. Something may be severe, it may be not, it may be more acute, maybe more chronic, but many times the most important consideration is, can we fix it? Something may be incredibly severe, and yet if we can easily treat it and make it go away, that patient's going to have a great prognosis. I'm not saying no matter what, we have to do the treatment. We could drop the ball, they could present very late. Um, there's still the opportunity for a poor outcome, but by and large, there won't be because we have something we can do. Whereas something that is not so severe and yet is ultimately untreatable and incurable may have a very poor prognosis. So look at DKA. In every marker you could possibly look at, DKA patients are usually very, very sick. They are severely metabolically deranged. They're often in shock. They're often uh, obtunded. I mean, they have just about everything that we treat in the ICU. And yet DKA patients come every day and almost invariably get better, often very quickly, within a day, and then leave the ICU, you know, perhaps to come back later. What's important here? DKA is easily treatable. They need insulin, they need fluid, and that's about it. Compare that to the patient with metastatic cancer, unresectable, not responsive to treatment. They may not look so ill, and yet you know the underlying problem is not something you can do anything about. So ultimately their prognosis is going to be much poorer than that DKA patient, even though as a snapshot, they're much less sick. So severity times the duration divided by its reversibility or treatability. I think with those three considerations, you get pretty darn close to understanding how well someone is likely to tolerate, recover from, and survive just about any major illness we see in the ICU. Give it some thought. Let me know what you think. I'm not saying you have to bust this equation out on rounds every day, but I think it may help you to understand some of these cases like that DKA, like that chronic anemia, whatever, where the, the patient's prognosis may not actually match what seems to naturistically, intuitively make sense to you. Let me know what you think. Talk to you next time.